0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more.
1: And as I've gotten older, the more I really just have to learn to let go, because the more you try to control it, the more you're just going to drive yourself insane.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Why I'll Never Make It, featuring insightful stories and conversations with fellow artists on the realities of a career in the entertainment industry. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver Jones, and the website is winmepodcast.com. Well, it is, uh, it has certainly been a stormy one here on the ship. In fact, we missed our first port of this 16 day cruise because of the weather. So I had what, uh, what I feel like is going to be very rare on this contract, a complete day off. I had nothing to do and <laughs> I will admit that I was a little lazy with it. I basically watched television, uh, all day and from morning till night I stopped to eat but other than that I just watched television and just hung out in my room but I think we all need days like that right we all just need a time where we don't do anything where we're not thinking about anything we're just relaxing and kind of getting away from the daily grind and that is certainly something that I was very grateful for for that day off uh, but speaking of uh, being thankful as we know, at the end of this month, Thanksgiving is coming up, and I would love to get your stories of gratitude, of appreciation, of, of things that have happened for you over the last year, past few months, whenever, of things that, um, that you're particularly thankful for this year. Go to contact.winmepodcast.com, and there you'll have a few options as far as how to share your story. You can either use the contact form there on that page, or I would love to get a voicemail message where I can hear your voice and you can share your own story here on the podcast. And I will just be honest that putting this request out there, it comes with my own internal fears and anxiety that no one will respond. But I wanted to put it out there anyway, uh, to give you a chance to be a part of the Win community. So on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I'll be sharing the stories that you share as well as a couple of my own. Because as we know, and as this podcast regularly showcases, this is not an easy business. It is not a forgiving business. And oftentimes. There's much more heartache in it, much more frustration than there is success. And so I think it's important that we celebrate those successes when they do come. But for today, I am back with you for the second half of my conversation with Janine DeVita. As you know, last week, I'm sure you listened to it, my conversation with her about the USO Show Troop and her work with that great organization. For today, we get into Janine herself. We get into what it takes to keep a clear mindset in this business, uh, balancing work and home life. We even talk about how, how therapy helped her book an audition. I also share a little bit about my days as a boy soprano, as well as her time with the Broadway musical If Then, going on for none other than Adina Menzel. And I think my conversation with her from a couple of months ago when I was in the USO office really highlights some important aspects of this career. So I certainly got a lot out of our conversation and listening to Janine's experience and the wisdom that she's gained over the years. And I'm pretty sure you will, too. So you have to balance your time as of now, between USO and performing. How is that balance working out for you?
1: It's definitely an adjustment because um, I'm very picky now about where I put my energy and where I spend my time and what my, what I spend my time on um, artistically. Um, I'm not taking every audition. I'm not um, saying yes to everything like I used to. And it's really because I feel like uh, my time is really precious, and I want to be able to give myself to each entity, each part of myself, give myself um, the right amount of attention to each side of it. So mm. I guess the biggest change for me is just um being uh, a little more picky and a little more discerning about where I put my. My energies.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, because I think that's something that we as performers grow into. Because when we start out, and I assume you were the same, you just kind of jump at everything. You know, if if there was an audition, you went for Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, I moved here with an agent. I moved here part of Actors' Equity. And I still went to every single open call, Mm -hmm. every single seminar. Because I wanted to learn and I wanted to get my name out there. And I wanted to get in front of people. And um, and I, I am a big believer that work begets more work. I've always been that way. It just as I've gotten older and as I've built my resume and I've, you know, done the things that I sent, that I set out to do, you know, in terms of checking a box, you mm-hmm. know, if you can even say that in the artistic world. But I did start out with goals in mind. And, um, you know, having achieved some of those, it's, you start to become a little bit, at least I have, I've started to become a little bit pickier about, um, you know, making, uh, linear moves rather than lateral moves at least Mm -hmm. trying to like really trying to think that way of like what's what's going to enrich my life and what's going to enrich my career not just keep me busy
0: right because it's very easy to just on to the next audition you know busy here go to this class go to here and that
1: is so how i Lived for a long time, not only because it was artistically fulfilling and I was building a resume and I was playing these great roles, but also financially and, um, just to get your health insurance weeks and everything too. It's like, it's, that's just a reality where I would, I went out of town a lot in mm-hmm. my, beginning of my career simply because I could sublet my apartment and not pay rent and go (laughs) play a great role and save that money. Right? You know, so it's, it was a lot of like thinking strategically of like, what are the pluses to this job versus the minuses? And it's time away from the city. It's time away from other opportunities that could be bigger career moves. Yet I get to go play a great role at a great regional theater and save some money on rent. Right. So, those were all those things that went through my mind. And now I'm in a place in my life and my career where I can just say, you know, I'd rather be in the city. I'd rather be at home. I'd rather be with my husband. I'd rather be here and available for things that I really want to do. Um, artistically, um, to, to fulfill myself and my career.
0: And what was that first show when you moved to the city? What was that first show that made you realize, okay, good, I, I can make it. I can be here. I can do this.
1: I, um, well, I played Rizzo in Greece uh, about a year, not even a year out of college. That was my Broadway debut. And that for me was honestly very surprising. I always knew I could do it. I knew I had the talent. I believed in myself. I just needed other people to believe in me. And I couldn't believe that someone believed in me that much to like Kathleen Marshall. It's, I'm, I owe her everything. Um, that she believed in me and that validation for better or for worse, you know, we're all insecure, but that really did validate me and mm-hmm. it validated my worth in this business. And, um, from then on, I really, uh, I worked nonstop after that. I really have not, luckily, knock on wood, <laughs> haven't really had a period where I've, um, really wondered if I'll work again. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been, I've been really blessed in this, but that was, that was my first thing, you know? Right. How but often it... does that ever happen? Like <laughs> a year, like not even a year out of school. And also, you know, I always played more mature characters in college and then I make my Broadway debut as a teenager. Random. I mean, granted, she's an old soul, Rizzo, <laughs> but, but still, I mean, that was just the irony to me, the sweet irony. I was like, I just, I always felt older than everybody in a way. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why. I, I don't know. But, um, yeah. And then I made my Broadway debut as a teenager. So I was like, okay, well, that's that.
0: Now, was that something that you felt like an old soul? So you went more toward older roles? Or was that just something that was, you kept being cast and so I, that, that was your niche?
1: Well, I just. I, I think our essences always come through in characters. I I think that 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 is the most authentic thing to to watch and to portray. And I don't know. I I feel like I just I grew up really quickly just because of circumstances at home and my childhood and everything. And so I feel like I was like a mini adult at 11. Hmm. So I just. I just grew up quickly and not to say that I didn't have, you know, fun in high school or whatever, but in, in middle school, I, I mean, I had a childhood, but I just, I grew up very aware, I think. And I think, I, I think that I, I, I wasn't naive. Uh, and I think that that is why even in my, you know, in college, I just seemed a little, older i and not and i now looking back at pictures it's not like i look older or anything it's just you know i don't know i just had like a it's
0: probably the way you carried yourself yeah and yeah, that's just what people
1: said i think it's just because i i just been through a lot and i came out the other side just kind of knowing and it's hard to it's like once you know you can never go back you know yeah. so uh
0: were your artistic endeavors supported when you were growing up with as you were younger
1: yeah, they were, but it, again, it was more like me not believing in myself mm. because I, um, both my parents are attorneys and it just didn't seem like a logical thing to do. It just didn't seem logical. It was like, Oh, that'd be nice, but that's not possible. Like, like, like,
0: like you can't make a living as an artist. Yeah.
1: yeah. You, like it's not, like, it's not that. Like, yes, of course you can't make a living. And also that, that's, that's just fun. That's just right, fun. Right.
0: That's something you do, you know, extracurricular activities. Exactly.
1: It was never something that I even considered doing as a profession, yeah. like making a life in the arts.
0: And what, what was the first time that you kind of realized, oh, maybe I can do this.
1: It was when I, I mean, I remember the moment. Exactly. It was when I saw songs for a new world at, uh, UMKC in Kansas city. It was a college production and it was incredible. And I had never seen a show like that before in my life. I'd never been moved by music. That was so spirited and, um, just contemporary and driving and, I was really, really just enthralled by it. And I just thought I want to be a part of this world. Like I, I wanted to go for it and just mm-hmm. see what happened. Um, I mean, I grew up as a soprano, you know, singing Lerner and Lowe and Rogers and Hammerstein and all that beautiful music. And um, I never really sang that kind of um, thought provoking music ever. And it was just so thought-provoking for me. I remember the song, I'm Not Afraid of Anything. And it just really, really spoke to me. And I just decided to audition for musical theater programs for college.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I just decided, screw it. I'm just going to go for it.
0: Because before seeing that show, what track were you on or what did you, what were I w- you going toward?
1: I was going towards uh, communications uh, major in journalism. That's yeah. what I wanted to do.
0: That's what my degree ended up being in.
1: Oh, hey. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, you know, maybe I would go to law school one day. You know, I don't know. I, I, I've, I was always, I always excelled at school and um, I just thought, you know, I actually, I got a full ride at university of Kansas and turned that down to go to Michigan and decided to double major in musical theater and communications. So I was mm-hmm. able to double major there. Wow.
0: So that kept you busy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was very busy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Michigan is known as one of the musical theater kind of machines of just churning out performers and artists and that kind of thing. Yeah. Did, was that a reason for going there?
1: For me, again, it's like I'm so brainy and heady about stuff that for me, it was like if I'm going to go into a business that is so scary and sketchy and unpredictable and not linear in the way that my parents' professions were. I want to go to the top school so that I have the best chance at making it. Hmm. Or I'm not going to do it at all. It was like a go big or go home moment for me. That's what it was. I didn't want to go anywhere else except for the best. And if I didn't get into the best, then I wasn't going to do it.
0: Wow. So, so if Michigan or one of those top schools hadn't accepted you. So it was Michigan or nothing?
1: Well, no, I auditioned for like the top schools. I auditioned for uh like Carnegie Mellon and Cincinnati and Emerson and Boston Conservatory and Michigan. And wow. I think that those were like I think I auditioned for like 5 Mm-hmm. Whereas like I know a lot of kids auditioned for like twenty, you know. <laughs> but I didn't I didn't want it that bad. It was like I either wanted to like I was either gonna do it and get on the fast track and do it, or I was gonna do something else with my life. Mm. I probably wouldn't have been as happy or as adventurous or as, you know, fulfilled as I am now because, you know, artistry is like who I am. But um, at the time, I was just so like – I was just in a go big or go home Mm -hmm. mentality
0: Now you talked about having a a, kind of a linear brain and and trying to fit the arts into that. Has that always been something, you know, that right brain, left brain way of thinking about it?
1: It's always been a struggle for me because like in my mind, it's like A plus B should equal C. And that is so not how this business works. It's A
0: plus B equals D with a flourish and a backflip.
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It makes no sense at (laughs) all. And and as I've gotten older, the more I really just have to learn to let go because the more you try to control it, the more you're just gonna drive yourself insane.
0: Control is such is such an issue that that we hope to have, that we want to have, but that so much of this business is out of it. Oh we, we, it's, we
1: especially as an actor, like there's just there's no control. All you have control over is giving a good audition. Yeah. A good audition to you. Because you can't say, I gave a good audition and hope to please somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, it can't be someone else's version of good. The person behind the table's version of good. It has to be good for you. Like whatever that measurement is for you of what good is, that's what that word good means. Mm -hmm. And I think that people start, me personally too, I would get, well, what is good? Did they think I was good? You know, you start really questioning that word and everything attached to that word and that's that's a that's a dangerous direction to go in. Oh yeah,
0: I think so many times in search for that control that we want, we start looking for other avenues to give us that that confirmation to give us that definition as you said of good, when really it needs to come from within us. Mm-hmm. We need to constantly be doing classes and and trainings mm-hmm. and rather than this kind of abstract casting or directors or because they're they're so they're so subjective and what they're it's, looking for. It's
1: so subjective. And, and a lot of times casting is so surprising. You know, it's, it's so not what you thought they were going to go with. And so the more you try to please and guess what they want, you're just doing yourself a disservice because, like, you're not being true to yourself. And that, that I mean, it's taken me a long time to realize that. And mm-hmm. I think it also took me getting married and being a little more settled and grounded and all that kind of stuff where you just start really placing value in yourself as, mm-hmm. as a person rather than identifying yourself as a performer. Like you're really like you're a performer because you're a person. Right. Like and that's the only way your performances are going to be grounded if you just bring like authenticity to it. And so in your auditions, if if you just go in there and play the part like, doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Just go in there and do what you do and play the part. Yeah. It's hard. A therapist told me that. <laughs> he's not even in the theater. Like, honestly, he's like, he's so, 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 so smart. And he says the most profound things to me about acting. It's huh. amazing. He's like, just go play the part. Literally, those words to me, like, changed my life.
0: How did those few words Spark something in you
1: because it made me just ignore everything else that was going on and just focus on playing the part. Yeah, just go play the part. Like you're, you, the, the, go play it. Like don't go, don't go get the part. Just go play the part. And
0: and then whatever happens will happen. And whatever
1: happens <laughs> will happen. But just go play the part. Yeah. And a I, I little, I had that. I had a session with him the the day before I um, had an audition for a pilot, and I booked it. Nice. I just went in yeah. and I just played the part. Mm-hmm. I just played the part. And it was like the, it was so freeing. I just played the part.
0: Do you find that there's that difference between the stage and the camera work as far as your auditions or prep for it?
1: No, my prop is the same. I mean, with film, people like to say, throw it away with film. Just throw it away. Mm-hmm. Throw it away. Throw mm-hmm. it away. Um, I think that that's that's kind of like a careless thing to say because there's so much internal work that goes on, for um for for film work because it, it's so it's so um, I hate to say this but it's so indulgent because the camera needs to see what you're feeling and what you're thinking and it needs because it's it's a visual medium so it needs yeah. to see that
0: and and it's so close on you that it yeah, really yeah. knows. so
1: technically speaking I think that it. It, it's more just um, it's more about you, whereas I think in theater we're taught to always be about the other
0: mm-hmm.
1: and listen and all that stuff. And not to say that you don't do that on camera, but I think on camera you're allowed to be a lot more indulgent mm. um, just because it's about it really is about that creating that experience for that character. At least that's what I found.
0: Yeah, because instead of a huge stage that has to be filled not only by you but other performers and lights and sets, yeah, a camera is focused on you know from your chin up. Yeah, that's your stage. Oh yeah. And so yeah, when you, you, I'm on,
1: when fill- I'm on when I'm on set, my first take is always too much. <laughs> it's always too bring much. Bring it back. Bring it back. And then the director <laughs> will tell me to bring it back, mm-hmm. and I'm like, all right, totally, totally. Yeah. Like I'll be in like a living room set for example, <laughs> and I'm in a living room set, you know, cause that's what I do. I'm on a live, I'm in a living room. That's is my set piece. Yes. And on camera, it's just, it's, it's so toned down. Like it's just, but it's, it's as intense. It's just intense in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just more zeroed in or focused.
0: Yeah. What was the, what was the first on camera experience that you got that, that kind of drove these points home?
1: Um, I shot a film in 2014 (laughs) opposite Dustin Hoffman, Yeah, and uh, I played Josh Lucas's wife uh, in a film called uh, Hear My Song, formerly known as Boy Choir, but the title has changed now, it's called Hear My Song. Um, and it was picked up by the Hallmark Channel and CBS. And then it, it's, all, it's literally all over Asia. So my friends have called <laughs> so you me. You are known. Oh, in yeah. Asia. So my friends have called me and been like, I saw you on the plane on my way to Taiwan. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful film though about the power of music, about how it can really heal people who've, um, been through traumatic experiences, especially kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's specifically about a boy soprano who finds his voice and then what happens when his voice changes
0: oh interesting mm-hmm. yeah my voice changed in ninth grade i i held on whoa to my, yeah you
1: held on for a long time i held on to
0: my boy soprano as long as i could
1: wow yeah you really did i
0: tried to this but the kid but the, was
1: like 11 12 yeah
0: yeah most kids it's like maybe sixth seventh grade or so yeah yeah i, I was like holding on because the thing is like my identity was so much that voice, that boy soprano, and you, and, and, you know, and in church and other concerts that I would do and be a part of. That that's what I was known as. And so, if I lost this voice, then well, what's this new voice going to be? Mm. I, I don't know that voice. I'm, I'm going to hold on to this voice. So I did for as long as I could. I did, but but I was I, it
1: hard when it when it changed.
0: Well, I mean, the bottom dropped out. You know, I I went from boy soprano to then kind of a fledgling bass who couldn't really. Hit the notes and tried so, but I wasn't a baritone yet. Did so, you have a
1: voice teacher who was helping? No, you?
0: no. It, it, I I did church choir, and so the the choir directors and uh, and they the, would help you. Yeah, they just kind of like tried to navigate me through that, and but yeah, it was it was. Aww. But I remember being in eighth grade, still having my boy soprano giving a uh, a solo as part of a song, and yeah, and I, and I got the snickers and laughs because I was still. Way up there, uh, I think that was the first time when I realized, okay, maybe I've outlived this voice. You know, I started like maybe to think, it's time, yeah. <laughs> but but you know, yeah. but, but I had to wait another year Aww. before it like totally went away. <laughs> Does the same thing happen in a in a female's voice? I know it, the, the, it
1: changes, but not the same way. Yeah, no. I mean, my voice changed a lot in college because I got my tonsils out. Oh and yeah, so, I hear that that can change a lot. Well, it changed in a really good way because I was singing over all this stuff.
0: Oh yeah, all that crap. All
1: the time. Mm-hmm. And so when I got my tonsils out, I all of a sudden had so much more space. Um oh, that's I also true. had to rethink though the way I talked, the way I spoke, because um my voice teacher really got on to me about this. And this is what I tell my students. I I would talk down like I would talk down here a lot. Like I would talk like on my chords.
0: Oh, okay. Rather
1: than have it be present in my, in my resonance and my cheekbones.
0: I think I do that a lot. I just sit down here and it's on my voice and I sit, yeah. You
1: shouldn't do that.
0: No, no, I, 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 no, no,
1: you have a very present talk speaking voice though. When
0: I'm on stage, then it definitely comes through. Yeah. That, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I started being really, really cognizant of my speaking voice. And so I think that kind of helped my singing voice. Keep, like to keep it in the same place as my speech mm-hmm. to become more of a speech based singer. But my voice changed a lot in college because of that changing the way I speak. And then also my tonsils.
0: Yeah. Out. And, and so that really opened up more, uh, yeah. more freedom in singing. To totally. And, my, and...
1: my resonance was completely changed. I had so much more resonance um, for, for both my soprano and my, and my belt. I mean, I never belted till college anyway, mm-hmm. but I all of a sudden like was able to flip into my belt a belt that I'd struggled with before, and all of a sudden I was able to like get a really pingy belt, hmm. whereas I was never able to do that before.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. In college, for me, fortunately, by that time I had navigated through baritone ness, mm-hmm. but but I was still at like my highest note was an E. You know, give yeah. me an E sharp, and no, no, nothing, yeah. nothing's going to come out. <laughs> so, it, but, but that was actually college was my first time to have voice lessons. My wow. very first voice lesson. Yeah, and it was you know those classroom settings yeah. where was, I think it was like six of us or so. Yeah. Didn't did, did you do individual lessons yeah. as, as, when you were younger as well, or I, is it? Class?
1: Yeah, I started when I was eight.
0: Oh wow! I Started
1: really young. Like, so you, so
0: your parents must have known that that you oh, had this yeah, voice. Yeah, and yeah. I you... mean, my
1: I mean, singing has been a part of my life since I was like three years old. My mom and my dad they both noticed that I had a good voice, and my both my both my parents are musical. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they don't sing professionally or anything, but they both love music and sing and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, they noticed that I would just sing along to everything on the TV and I had good pitch. So I was able to like sing along well hmm. to things. Um, you know, you're four. I mean, every parent thinks there's like God's gift. <laughs> right, you know? right,
0: right, right. Gifted child. I have
1: a gifted child. Yes. yes gifted child. But so they put me in uh dance lessons and then I started voice lessons and I was eight. Um, with Dr. Yoss in Kansas City who said he had no openings but said he would, like, listen to me to be nice and then told my mom that he'd take me. Yeah. So uh, I like to think that maybe it was a sign. <laughs>
0: right. So so even in four. I was eight at that time. I'm sorry. Sorry. At eight. This uh, this reputable uh, <laughs> voice teacher saw something. Or yeah, heard something. yeah.
1: I mean, he was like the guy, and still is the guy in Kansas City. And I studied with him from the time I was eight to eighteen.
0: Wow, ten left, years left for college. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, he really instilled musicality in me, and also like just the the reverence for the voice too. Mm-hmm. Um, a really honing it. Yeah. You know, it's something that you work on and it's something that you practice and it's not something that just happens. Yeah. Like it's hard work and, um, you know, there's always somebody working harder than you. Yeah. And so, you know, it really, it really takes work and practice and, and, and respect of, of what you've been given.
0: Would you say that a lot of your identity came from your voice? Did did that start to become something that, that you identified as something that I, I'm a singer. This is what I do, and, and that became kind of
1: yeah. your own
0: self-validation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I love I, the thing that's that's I've always struggled with is that I'm actually really shy, and so I really don't like the attention that I get from it. I hmm. um I, I love to sing. I love to sing. I don't necessarily like um the attention that comes along with it and the focus on me that comes along with it, which I think is so weird to say because I know I'm an actress.
0: Does that mean you felt more comfortable in choir settings as opposed to soloist?
1: No, because I enjoyed the challenge. Mm -hmm. But, and I liked that people could hear, hear something that I produced that was good Right. But I didn't want anyone to look at me. <laughs> I don't. It makes no sense at all.
0: Well, th- well, then, so would you rather just record something in, in a mic in the studio and then? And then it's let almost people like hear? I don't want
1: anyone to hear it. Right, right. It's almost like I just wanted to sing to sing. Yeah. I started getting more attention for it, and then I started. Then I auditioned for musical theater. It's always a struggle for me, though, to share it, hmm. even though. I know I have it and I know that I've worked on it and I know that it's meant to be shared. I do in my head. I know it's meant to be shared. But for me to just sing on a whim or whatever, I enjoy singing. But it's hard for me to share that joy because I'm shy.
0: So auditions must be tough for you. I mean, at, yes at, at, no. at this point, you, you're at the, obviously used to it. At this but... point,
1: I'm used to it. But um, yes, in a way, because it's a lot of focus on you.
0: Well, especially once you get to the callback and the producers there, directors there, the seven assistants are totally. there. The, the...
1: I mean, I have trained myself. Believe me, I've trained myself to just do it. Right. And get through it. And once I'm on stage, like everything else goes away. Sta- like on stage is where right. I feel my most comfortable, my most at home. All of that, and I love the rehearsal room even. Mm-hmm. Like I love the rehearsal room because there's freedom there, and there's and I've actually even started to like um, the uh, the audition room even because it's another playground. Like it's another place to play, which
0: is so hard to see. Auditions as a playground. It's it's one thing, to, you know. Once you book the job, you're in rehearsal, and then you can play. You can make the mistakes. You can figure your yeah. way out. But an audition room, to see it as a playground is is a tough way to look at it. Well,
1: I mean, I like I said, it's taken me a long time to get there, and yeah. it's only within the past like five years that I've started to view it that way. But really, I mean, I do it more now for myself then then I, I I, because I have to just do it for me I have to play the part I have to play the part in the way that I want to play the part and not think about other people because if I start thinking about other people I get self-conscious yeah and that's the worst thing for me because I'm shy so like I just have to make it about me and not worry about other people looking at me or whatever huh. because I get self-conscious right so I have to be very selfish about it actually which is kind of crazy because you're performing for other people, for other people to experience it. But for me um, emotionally to get through stuff like that, I I have to like, it's very intimate me and the character. Mm -hmm. Like my relationship with my character is like super personal and super intimate. And so that's how I'm able to get through it. Like I do it like it's, it's like an experience for me and for whatever character is, using my body as a vessel. I always find an attachment with, with a character. It's more like, you because like, you're not going to book it if you don't connect with it. Right. Like I've never, I've never, you're not going to book it if you don't connect with it. So there have been things I've auditioned for that. I definitely don't <laughs> connect with. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and I don't book it because I don't connect with it. You know, it's not living through me. And so obviously I'm not going to book it. Right. So like ones that I've booked, no, because I always find something to connect with, That's that's probably why I booked it in the first place. But the ones that I don't book, absolutely.
0: Is there a particular role that connected with you the most? Like, from from the moment you got the music, you were like, oh, it's like they wrote it for me.
1: Francesca, absolutely. Francesca, absolutely. I was up for the the national tour five years ago, and, you know, a lot has happened in the past five years, and I'm older, and... So I it's, I just, I connected with her, like, literally from the minute I started delving into that material, I just connected with it so, so hardcore. Mm-hmm. I also really connected with um, Little Edie in Grey Gardens.
0: You know, that, that uh, the show that I don't know very well.
1: Oh, it's Edie when she's younger in the 1940s, and she just has this overbearing mother, and she's horribly insecure and there's so much pressure on her and and I really I just connected with her of like that pressure that she felt to be perfect and to find a husband you know being embarrassed of her mother and being in the shadow of her mother and all this stuff I just really I connected with her a lot. Also the music is so telling for me too and yeah. Scott Frankel's music is just amazing as is Jason and Robert Brown's. Um, so those those two things those two characters really really got to me.
0: Yeah. Not booking the, the national tour, was that was that tough? I mean, because especially with the character that you, you loved, you resonated with so much.
1: I knew I'd play it someday. I knew I would. Um, I also knew I was on the young side to play it, you know, five years ago. Right, even right. The, like even, you said, even, you've had I mean, I'm there. already on the young side to, to play it. And even five years ago, I was even younger. So, you know, I was definitely um, pushing it. But I just... That music is so – it's just so in my soul. I don't know how else to explain it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just that longing and – being Italian and everything, and just I was finally able to act with my hands <laughs> and not. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's true. I, I remember during the
0: rehearsal process, you you were saying that you you often have to like tie your hands down and not. not I'm so but, but...
1: expressive with my hands. I just talk with my hands all the time. It's just who I am.
0: Right, right, but not every character is <laughs> not. That. But not
1: every character. That's their physicality, and right. so I always have to like think about it. You know, with my physicality for my characters and. Finally, with Francesca. Francesca, you could be free. So Francesca, I could just do whatever I um, yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, I can certainly say that sharing the stage with was a joy to watch, and you definitely—I mean, musically, you certainly connected with it in a beautiful way. Thanks. And one thing that I found in in watching you every night was really the craftsmanship that goes into singing, and I think a lot of us singers forget that. Yes, a lot of it is natural talent and something that's God-given and we're born with. And we can build upon that, but, but we have that foundation. At the same time, once you do start to work with whatever talent, however big or small it is, then it can blossom into something absolutely wonderful. Or if you don't work on it, then it just kind of peters out and mm-hmm. it's okay. It's not as good as it could be. And mm-hmm. I think in listening to you, it was interesting to to listen. It never sounded like you were working, But being a singer, I knew the amount of work that went into making it seem like you weren't working, you know, and, and how long did it take you to, to, to feel like it was, it was easier?
1: Um, I think Michigan, I mean, I just had such great voice teachers there and I I, I love using the different colors of my voice. It's just something I've always loved doing and acting with my voice and using it as like a way to I- express my character. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't really think about it. If that sounds weird, I just kind of like intuitively do it.
0: Well, yeah. Cause the more you do it, then the more it just kind of becomes yeah, but, instinctual. But, but
1: technically speaking, I mean, I study with Mike Ruckles here in the city and He's a technician, and so I get incredible uh, guidance from him in terms of placement and learning new, new tricks to, tricks is, <laughs> makes it sound so flippant, um, new techniques to, to, to produce certain sounds. Um, and there are just certain characters and certain scores that suit me better than others. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because because you had mentioned, I remember doing rehearsals that Francesca just sits in your voice, and and you almost don't even have to really think well, about. Well, that's
1: it. The th- with Francesca. That score is is just written so at home for my voice. Like it's mm-hmm. it's how my voice wants to sing. Like <laughs> it's just it's how it wants to, it wants to sing in a lyric soprano way. Yeah, that's just how it wants to sing.
0: And so, what would be a role that would be outside of that that you really had to work harder at?
1: Um, okay, so um, if then. That was uh-huh. one that I did have to work a lot because it's such a pingy, pingy belt. And I have a lot of chest in my belt. And so I have to, I had to really focus on putting it more forward and really gearing it uh, into my resonance in my cheeks. And I had to play a lot with tongue placement. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of technicality that happened with that one. Um, but... The more I practiced it, the more I was able to sing intuitively. And also, you know, I will say that Carmel Dean, the music director, and Tom Kitt, and Michael Greif, they were all very, very open to me singing it the way that I want to sing it.
0: Right, because when you would go on, you would have to be filling in for Adina Menzel. Yeah, I filled in for Idina. And, 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 and that must have been pressure in and of itself. Oh, absolutely. To fill those shoes.
1: Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> luckily, like, she was super gracious, and the fans were super, super gracious, and so I felt very supported. I never felt scrutinized in a negative way, ever, which I can really honestly say, I never felt that.
0: That's, that's wonderful. Yeah,
1: um, uh, I... Sang it the way that I sang it. I mean, the music is written in a way that requires a certain kind of sound, mm-hmm. but nobody ever told me to sound like Adina. Ever.
0: Good. They, Good.
1: Nobody ever said that to me. And I really, really, really appreciated that because I think that they really tried to honor every every cover and every replacement's own gifts. And I think that that's, that's really important.
0: Yeah. Because each of us, we have to, and and this gets back to what we were talking about at the beginning of... Really being and figuring out who we are and, mm-hmm. and being that authentic self mm-hmm. and bring that into the room and not try to be someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I did, I mean, I love singing that score. His music is, and Tom and, um, Yorkie's uh, lyrics are oh, just am- yeah. amazing. And
0: yeah. The, yeah. They're next to normal is like one of my dream shows.
1: Yeah. It's, it's great, great stuff. And um, but yeah, I really enjoyed singing it. It's just so powerful. I mean, the hardest thing I had was just not getting emotional while I'm singing. Like that was the hardest part so because tough? you're yeah. so emotional. Yeah. And I never did it enough times in a row <laughs> to really get into a rhythm of, of the emotion. And so I would find myself so overcome with emotion that I'm like, oh, crap, I got to sing still, yeah. you know, and meanwhile, you're like. Drainage is coming, and you're like, oh my God, how am I going <laughs> to sing over my snot? How am I going right, to do that? Right, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Um, and, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I love singing that music. And, uh, yeah, but that's one where, you know, I had to figure out technically, you know, where things were sitting at certain moments and whatever for the certain color that it needed and all that jazz. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So as you are in this new place of, finding finding that balance between your work-life USO, you're married now, and and having a career, mm-hmm. has the term contentment, happiness, fulfillment, have, have they taken on a new meaning now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I am always um, striving for more. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm never one who's just complacent. That's just not who I am. So I'm always trying to you know, make my marriage better, make my apartment better, make my career better, make other people feel better. You know, I'm always trying to make things a little bit better. So yeah, I mean, contentment, yes, definitely has a different meaning. I I no longer feel like I have anything really to prove, I guess, whereas I felt like I always did. And now I'm kind of like, I know what I'm about and also I've, I've developed a really good sense of other people, I think too. So I know the kind of people who I want in my life and I know, you know, who I want to get close to and who I don't want to get close to and who I think is full of shit and who I think is not full of shit, you know? So I think that just kind of comes with experience. And,
0: well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause as soon as we figure out and are comfortable with who we are, then I think that only helps us know the kind of people that are going to mesh with that Absolutely. B- because now we're in tune with ourselves and we want other people to be in tune with that.
1: I think, th- I think that's totally true. And I think, and as an artist too, I think it's really important that we protect ourselves. I think that we, you know, we put ourselves out there so much and give so much of ourselves more than any other kind of person in this world. I think. I think artists are the most vulnerable giving people ever. And that takes a toll of just giving so much and not getting anything back. And I think that that can take a toll. And so I think it's really important for artists to protect themselves and not and stand up for themselves too, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they can. I think it's really hard. It's really hard to stand up for yourself when you're so vulnerable because you want people to like you so much. So it's really hard. But um, my hope is that people, I don't know, just figure out that their artistry is like actually really precious and it shouldn't just be exploited.
0: And to take care of that? To take
1: care of that, Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. How are you taking care of your craft and protecting yourself? Are you finding contentment and fulfillment in this career? These are the questions that we have to ask ourselves, and sometimes the answers aren't easily found, and even when we do get them, sometimes it's hard to know exactly what to do with them. And I hope that this conversation with Janine provided some insights into how you answer those questions as well, and how you're going through your own process, your own journey along this uh, artistic path. For more on Janine and the USO, look in the show notes for ways to follow and learn more about her and that great organization. And if you enjoy listening to these stories and interviews as much as I love being a part of them, then please share this podcast with those who you think would enjoy and benefit from these conversations. As always, I thank you for joining me and Janine today. Don't miss a single episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver Jones, reminding you the reasons for not making it may be countless and frustrating, but the reasons to keep going are even more numerous and rewarding. Let's get together again next week as we talk more about why I'll never make it.